Hello, welcome to Claret and Blue. My name is Dan Rollins. I'm joined here live from Orlando, Florida by John Townley to talk about Aston Villa's 2-0 win against Fulham in the Premier League Summer Series, a mini tournament thing that Villa are atop of the league of, as it stands, which is which is nice, I guess. Uh, John, how are you? How's things? What time is it over there? Oh, I've no idea. Um... <laughs> Better question is, how much have you slept? I slept at five this time, so it was about four hours or so. It's fine. I had a lot of adrenaline last night, so I think I'll crash later on today. I don't know why I had adrenaline, to be honest. <laughs> the game itself was relatively boring, but it was very enjoyable being there. That sounds like I wasn't um, enjoying myself. Let's get into the game then. You sent us a video back after the game of you walking back to your hotel or wherever it was. It, it was dark, I know that. The kind of main takeaway from it is what preseason is, fitness, and you kind of implying that you can sense that Villa are getting fitter and fitter as each game passes, which that's what you like to see, isn't it? That's kind of the purpose of it. But do you feel that Villa are, with each passing game, more and more ready for the, the Premier League opener in two weeks, pretty much? That's crazy. Just over two weeks already. Um, yeah, I do. Emery said after the game that he that while Villa uh, lacked a bit of rhythm and fluency in the game, which I thought was spot on because it was very disjointed. And to be fair, I think the hour and 20 minute delay had an impact on that. Emery was pleased with uh, it being just another game under Villa's belts against a Fulham team who were well-organised, who were very fit themselves last season. They were obviously one of the surprises of the season in many ways and competed around the top half of the table for for the whole season, even knocking on the door of Europe up until about April. I think this summer series is actually a really good idea because Villa are playing teams that already have a good base level of fitness and that have certain qualities, but ultimately you, you want to be playing different teams for different reasons to get different things from the game ultimately again ultimately it's about fitness and everybody's that you could use different players again Villa's squad is looking more built out now their bench looks better obviously I don't think it's fully complete yet but I think this is going to be the main apart from maybe a couple more additions this is going to be what Villa are going to be working with and and I think we're in a good place because we have three more games left of pre-season as well which is again I we played six this year. I think last year we played five. But that extra game that we had against Valencia, uh, I think that may be just because the Warsaw game came before Tyra Mings, John McGinn, all, all those players, all, all the international players um, came back. I, I wish we'd ask Matty Cash about pre-season and what it means for a player because the, there's, there's two ways I look at it. We say a lot that pre-season is all about fitness. And I think as a footballer, they would feel the same as well. I need to be ready for game week one. I need to show yeah. coaching staff that I'm ready. So I've got to be fit and, and get myself in, in condition for that. The flip side of it is, you know, we'll say like win, lose or draw, it doesn't really matter. I'd be interested to see what the players think of, of that kind of approach as well. Because yes, it is only pre-season, but if you are winning games and scoring loads of goals, I was going to say that is good for confidence, but do they think, well, it's meaningless because it's just a friendly and it's just X opposition. No, it doesn't matter that I've scored. I'd be intrigued to see how the players feel about it. Yeah, my first question to Unai after the game was clean sheet. First clean sheet of uh, pre-season, first win of pre-season, although it's pre-season, and it, although it's pre-season game, sorry. Uh, those are good habits to, you know, um, to have. Uh, and he said yes, but Villa's fluency and you know um that some of the things that they worked on before the game didn't quite come off so i think for players they'll just follow follow the manager's lead i think if emery was saying things like oh yeah we won and that's what matters in these games then i think the players would take that as like a okay well that's good we'll do we'll try and do that again next time rather than focus on the tactical elements and the Mm -hmm. aspects that are really going to make a difference for the next season so i don't think players will care for results really i think it's weirdly like a more of an individual thing 
players know that they they personally have to get into a in, into their rhythm and get up to fitness ahead of the new season. And yes, you can talk about the team in terms of uh, how De Villa collectively defend or collectively attack or keep the ball with teammates that that sort of thing. But ultimately, I think pre-season is there for, for example, Luca Dean to get up to fitness because he knows he's going to be the left back when they're yeah. going to play Newcastle, and then the three games after that as well um, before Alex Moreno returns. Mm-hmm. So I think ultimately, it's for players. I think it's more of a uh, an individual thing of how can they get into the best position possible for the new season, um, and obviously with that comes bonding with teammates and on on and off the pitch as well. So yeah, um, three more pre-season games. There's plenty of time to you know learn more things embed more tactics from uh, Unai's perspective and that's what he's going to do and one more start to see some of those players that we expect to start games in the Premier League in, in two weeks time to start playing more and more minutes as those pre-season games pass by yeah is playing a half last night if he's going to be starting against Newcastle he's going to play 80 maybe 90 minutes at some point during this pre-season schedule the rest of this show we're, we are going to keep it to a strict 30 minutes a day because that's what the post-match show is going to be going forward into the season it's going to be guided by comments from twitter uh, the first is from lee who asks who will be our penalty taker in the upcoming season do we think obviously archer had one last night and it was a great save i thought it was in the corner and it was a good save with the fingertips of leno would have been nice to have archer get off the score sheet and be involved in that kind of buzz of yes like we've just said it's only pre-season but your young prospect coming forward and scoring goals is good fun for everybody. Um, so what did you think about penalty taker? Who is it? Ollie Watkins scored as well against Walsall, didn't he? And that was a really mm. good penalty. Um, yeah, yeah. No pressure on it though. So it's difficult. I think it depends who's on the pitch. I think maybe Tielemans will take it if he mm. was playing. I know that Archer took it yesterday when Tielemans was playing, but I think that was because Archer was desperate to score and he wants to put himself forward as, you know, if he tooks away this penalty, then all of a sudden we're thinking, well, that's that's one out of one. It was a really good save by Leno. I, I wasn't sure if it hit the post um, or if Leno saved it from where I was sat because hmm. I didn't have my glasses, which is a, which is my story. So, um, Oh, yes. So I, you said before we started the podcast, you said I've got a story to tell. I said, save it, yeah. save it for the podcast. Everything was a bit blurry last night because I, I have glasses for long distance, so I, I sure would see long distance, you know. Um, so I have to wear my glasses for the football. And I, I went to the the uh, the bar which all the Villa fans were at in Orlando, which was really good, by the way. It was packed and mm, yeah, the videos really clips on that look really good. Uh, I know I've taken my glasses in there and I've come out <laughs> and I don't think I've got them anymore. Um, but I didn't realise that until I got to the stadium and I unpacked and I was like oh that's an issue I can't see much gone down to security and stuff and said oh have you seen my glasses and they're like no I haven't seen anything when the game was delayed by like uh, for the foreseeable future there was no time limit on it so I thought it's going to be at least an hour so I've run back to the pub which is about eight minutes running and it was off torrential rain (laughs) I'm sweating because it's like 30 degrees really humid gone back there and then my glasses I couldn't find them so I had to run back I'm in a like I'm in a state um in the press box. Yeah, long story short, I didn't have my glasses during the game, but then afterwards they're there by the door of the um of the press box room just on the floor. <laughs> Honestly, it was an absolute nightmare. Um but I have my glasses now. It's all good. So for the FedEx game FedEx game? The game at the FedEx field, uh against Brentford, I will you will have an Aston Villa Porter who has um <laughs> good division for the next game so yeah it was absolutely like literally a run around i um yeah it was money so we take we take everything you've written or say on this podcast with a pinch of salt with the caveat that you probably couldn't see it anyway 
Like, I could see it, but it's just so <laughs> blurry. Like the Archer penalty, I literally couldn't tell if it was saved or whatever. So I've, I've had to spin around, look at the TV monitor. I couldn't really see it then either. So I've gone on Twitter, asked, I mean, not asked, but searched what's happened. Yeah. Um, God. But whatever. Let's get back to Villa. Yeah, put it down to the lack of sleep and hard work and, and uh, let's, let's leave it at that. Um, <laughs> yeah. James asks, if you could only sign one more player, would you sign a forward, a striker or a winger, uh, a backup goalkeeper or a right back? I think we're quite well stocked actually for forwards now, considering Emery wants to keep Cameron Archer and John Duran. Mm-hmm. You've got the RB coming into the mix. You've got Leon Bailey coming into the mix when he returns. You've also got Jacob Ramsey coming into the mix. So, I feel like there's a lot to work with there. And I know a striker is also um, something Villa are considering. Villa do need to start shifting players out of the squad now because it's getting uh, a bit too big and that's filled up with a couple of, you know, three or four players. A couple of three or four players. By three or four players who know that they won't be playing here next season. Keenan Davis, Wesley, those, you know, those um, mm. those names. <clears throat> Important that Villa move players on and they are looking at different positions. Right back, obviously, is one. Strike is another. In terms of goalkeeper, I think that would be my answer to this question Sorry. because I'm not convinced that Olsen can build up exactly how Martinez can. And there's always going to be a drop off from Martinez, whoever Villa buy. But I do think it's very important that the goalkeeper is capable of um, building from the back. And we've said it before, Olsen certainly has a place in the squad. He's a Sweden international one of the most experienced players in the team. We're not criticising him as a goalkeeper. He's more than capable. It's just that I think Villa need a goalkeeper who is slightly different to play in the way Emery can play. In terms of the right-back, we saw Konsa move there yesterday and I asked him about that. I asked Emery and he asked him, was it um, for rotation for Cash? Because he's only played... Sorry, Cash has played both uh, the friendly so far and played quite a lot of minutes. Hmm. But he said, no, it's, it's for tactics. And he wanted to see how Villa built up with a back three uh, with Conte tucking inside and, um, and you know, and going from there. So, And he was impressed by Conte. He, say, he said he played well. And I think whenever Conte has played right back, he's looked very he's looked very good. He obviously played there a little bit for Charlton. He's just very comfortable and quite relaxed, but in a good way. There's no panic. There's no rush. And he's obviously a solid defender as well. Philogene also tucked around to make like a five at the back at some points. Um, so that was another side to Philogene's game obviously scores and we'll talk about that and he is down the other end defending and down concert and Philogene's side nothing really went down there at all and again it's a good opponent you're playing Fulham this isn't um, with all due respect Walsall who yeah. arguably had more of an attacking threat <laughs> or well, as much as an attacking threat but obviously Villa are now further down their preparations for the season so long story short to answer that question I'd probably say goalkeeper yeah, exactly the same as you. It's it's sexy, isn't it, to sign a, a big striker or a DRB kind of forward, uh, and we obviously have DRB. But to have another like a someone like a Brennan Johnson as an example would be like, well, okay, the serious firepower for Villa to work with now. Like that's an attractive signing to spend 40, 50 million in one area. You said about not criticizing Olsen, but I think if you look at those three positions specifically, of if, if, if the alternative is playing, what's the drop off? So if Watkins isn't available and it's Archer. That's a, an X percent drop off. If it's not cash playing and it's concert right back or chambers, that's an X percent drop off. If Martinez isn't playing and Olsen is, that's the biggest drop off percentage between the two options for me. He's not as good as a goalkeeper and he can't play in the same style of football that Emery wants to play. Yeah. Out from the back, that causes the biggest problem. That's the point. It's Martinez is one of the best goalkeepers in the world. You're never going to get near him in terms of a backup. Um, I just think Emery might be looking at a goalkeeper that 
fits a different function to what Olsen brings. Olsen brings a live experience. I don't think he has the ability to build from the back particularly well and it does invite pressure on our defence. So mm. we'll, we'll see what happens in the coming weeks. Ricardo says, this is a great question and I'm going to massively put you on the spot here. If the opening day game against Newcastle, you only play two in midfield, which of those two is it? Doug Louise, Bubakar Kamara and Yuri Tielemans? <laughs> really difficult question. I think, firstly, I'd put Kamara in there because he he's a ball winner and Louise and Tielemans aren't that specifically or as good as Kamara. Mm-hmm. I think yeah. Louise and Tielemans are very similar themselves. I'll be the first to say I thought Tielemans was excellent last night and he was very good and rightly deserved man of the match. So I don't want to <laughs> put anything... Ne- I don't want to put any negative spins on anything, but I've said it before, I just think Louise is becoming a seriously good footballer. Like He took four touches to turn what was a pass to him with his back turned to goal, four touches and Villarin on goal. Mm. That's serious quality, man. Like, yes, Diaby scored. The ball into Diaby, yeah, the assist. Yeah, yes, Diaby scored and that's fantastic and, you know, that's everything Villa wanted from all the Villa fans wanted to see Diaby play and then score. But if you just rewind a second, honestly, for Louise to have the awareness, he's already scanned, he knows he knows the whole picture, he knows Diaby's mm. going to make his run, he's, he knows where the defender is. One touch brings his marker out the game. Second touch to steady himself. I've missed a touch in there somewhere. And the ball over the top is exquisite. It, mm. it, it was just like we go on about um, how strife and wings can change games and things like that. Luis has just plucked out a pass that's, um, you know, if that's in a Premier League game and, and the game's tight, well, there you go. That you, Yeah, serious quality. And to be fair, Kamara did something similar for uh, Cameron Archer's penalty. He picked up the ball and it was a nice yeah. scoop pass. And Archer's movement for that goal. What, I haven't watched Archer live too much, but his movement is really good. Like, mm. Very good. I know we already knew that anyway. You, when you watch him, he's always playing on the blind side of his defender. He, he's very clever with it. He's not rapid and he's not particularly strong, but he's, he's probably the closest thing to Jermaine Defoe that I've seen, especially as a Villa player. For that reason, I'd probably have to drop Tielemans because I think Louise is one of our best players. If not mm. our best player, I think he's excellent. It's funny you mentioned the assist for the goal because I was hoping that you'd touch on that more so than the finish from Diaby, which by the way was also very good. But that mo- that ball from Louise was the was, kind was, of killer was, part to, to that goal. Like we, Obviously, yeah. without that ball, the goal doesn't happen. It's a very obvious <laughs> thing to say, but it, the technique of it, ironically... It's a moment of magic, isn't it? To take a couple of touches yeah, and put that, that ball that, through like that. It. Like it, it's just like that and it's done. And like seeing that video that Villa and the Premier League posted yesterday of the, the GoPro thing on, on Yuri Tiedemann's yeah. from the Newcastle game. I don't know whether you had a chance to sit through the full six or seven minutes, but even in a, in a pre-season friendly, the pace of the game is unbelievable. Like yeah. things are happening in a split second. There's one particular moment where I think Tiedemann's turns and obviously we're seeing an angle of the front of his body and he can turn his head and we don't we don't get to see that but Anthony Gordon is yeah. on him in half a second and he has to make a decision and, and it's just like that so well you can do with his blonde, blonde <laughs> yeah, just charging him down so different game different player but to see Louise do what he did and and we did, he does so often it kind yeah. of makes you realize as a supporter like how quick the Appreciate game is it's, it's just a it's just a friendly so when yeah. players do things like that you we rightly talk about it in a manner where we spent four or five minutes on through ball basically and it, it, the same for um for our archer yeah. as well i'll be honest i don't doubt that kamara and louise can do those balls for you know nine times out of ten they'll probably come off but it was mm. just how he positioned positioned himself and he knew exactly where diaby was he knew where his marker was in four touches he's just completely taken him out of the game and he's delivered a ball that's put him in on goal like that's serious quality like 
honestly, if any midfielder does that in world football, you'd look at it and think, oh, that's that's yeah, classic. Yeah, that's the Ireland. Yeah, exactly. But you get a bit lost because we're looking at DRB and it's like, oh my God, DRB scored. Douglas, he's, he's becoming a seriously good footballer. I know I said it in the last game and I said it's only Newcastle and Walsall. <laughs> but I'm sure um, that won't be the last time you say that this season because he, he, he is getting no, I, better. I just, um, just the touches he takes, it's it's so easy for him and he just knows what's going on all the time. And by the way, a lot of that you can say for Telemans. Hmm. He he was similarly very clever, very quick. Um, he Again, always scanning. He knew exactly where his next pass was going to go. Um, evading challenges is press resistant as well. We'd receive the ball back to goal. He'd turn very a player quite player. easily. Very clever player, very intelligent. So between him and Louise, there's very little drop off there. And mm. honestly, if Villa are going to go deep in Europe, that's fantastic because you can bring one off off at 60 minutes for the weekend game and you don't lose that key part of what Emery's got in his team, which is that creative midfielder next to a Kamara or next to a, Den- a Dendonka if he stays or something similar in Irubina maybe. But that creative hub in that double pivot is key. And if you've got two of them who aren't going to gas out on energy um, for games throughout the season, then super. Yeah, there's a question, another question about how do you keep them happy? And I want to talk about Diaby as well. Keeping them happy, you just mentioned it there about playing games in Europe. Now, before we started, I did some quick math and I might have got it slightly wrong with when Villa enter certain competitions, whether it's the third round or the second round, but bear with me for a second. If Villa go all the way in the FA Cup, that's six games, I think, possibly seven. If Villa go all the way in the Carabao Cup, it's seven games, possibly six, possibly eight. (laughs) If Villa go all the way in the Europa Conference League, it's 15 games. Possibly 16 if they have to play a third round playoff. What I'm saying is, if Villa go all the way in every competition they play in, which let's face it, they're not going to, but for argument's sake, they do, get to the final of three cup competitions and play 38 games in the Premier League, that's between 66 and 69 games between August and May. That's how you keep players happy. You know, Douglas Weed isn't going to, Villa aren't going to get there before anyone starts and play 70 games. But if they did, Douglas Weed is not going to play all 70 games. These players will have a chance to be rotated. And we're not in a position anymore where it's you've got 11 players and if one of them isn't available, Villa are in trouble and lose three or four games because that player isn't available. The only one that they, that can be said for at the moment is probably Martinez. Anyone else is out of this side, two, three, four games with an injury or a suspension, you think their replacement is almost as good as them anyway. And that, and that competition for places will make a better squad fired up, ready to compete and, and be involved. So... If Villa go 50 games, 60 games, whatever it is, players will be happy because they'll all, they'll all feature. That was one of my questions to Tyrone Mings when I saw him on, I don't know what the day is, uh, Tuesday. Tuesday. And, and he said basically the same. If Villa want to get to where they... Uh, or Yeah, if Villa want to get to where they want to get to, um, <laughs> they need competition for places. And the arrival of Paul Torres is obviously a competition for him. They want to win trophies with Villa and they want to be going deep in competitions with Villa and having success. They know that they can't do that with 12 players or regular starters all the time. They need players to come off the bench and impact games and they need to be rested themselves for other ones. So, And they'll welcome that. I don't think players, yes, they want to play every game. But there'll also be times when Villa are playing style Bucharest in the Conference League away from home and we've just had a gruelling game against Arsenal away. We've got Liverpool at home coming up next. That's when you need your rotation. So it is massively yeah. important and I think players appreciate that the Villa have got to this level and especially a lot of the players like Mings, McGinn, Wat- players who have been on journey with Villa now for the last three or four or five years. It, you know, um, 
they they're desperate to win a trophy with Villa, and if that means playing a few less games in a the season, <laughs> they don't care because they'll come out of that season, you know, cementing their hero status with Villa because again they've come on that journey, and that's what um, Mings told me on Tuesday. So yeah, rotation is going to be important, and squad depth is is going to be crucial, and players are aware of that as well. Yes, they want to be playing loads of games, but they understand um, the benefits of a bigger, uh, bigger squad as well. Talk to me about Diaby then, a little, little bit of a, a scouting report, if you like. From the bits that I've read and heard from Chris Williams on our podcast that we did and kind of the research I've done since we were rumoured to have signed him and then to have completed that deal, the goal that he scored for us in the, the friendly against Fulham was the goal I was expecting to see from him, from what I've learned about him. <laughs> that running behind with pace, that kind of ferocious finishing that he can have. You know, a big part of that goal is Douglas Louise's brilliance as well. But to have somebody with genuine pace, not in a kind of disrespectful way that he's a pace merchant and when he does get in front of goal, he kind of doesn't know what to do when he gets there because he certainly does. But to have somebody who can do that and also apply the finish at the same time is a lethal kind of weapon for, for Emery to have. Hold on a sec. Come in then. Yeah, he played... The second half came on off the bench at half time. I was surprised that he played the full half. To be fair, um, clearly Emery wants him to get up to speed right away. He did say that his uh, he didn't expect him to take long to adjust to playing with his new teammates and settling in, which is um, obviously a positive. Hmm. And honestly, I don't. He didn't see too much of the ball. Like I, obviously, from the highlights, um, it's probably involved in a few things, which show um, which is a good thing. But the second half was very disjointed and lacked rhythm and tempo and intensity so it wasn't the best game for him to have played in but the one sight of goal that he has you didn't doubt that he was going to put the ball past Rodak so um, a sign of a top player really and that's what I said to Emery after the game that he can he wasn't involved too much but then one bit of movement um, in behind Louise is going to pick him out and that's the thing. The, the Abbey is so much more dangerous when you've got players like Louise, Kamara, Tielemans all behind him ready to supply mm. it because you can't defend... Well, you can defend pace, but if you're playing a high line, high line in the Premier League, which is what most clubs do because they're pushing, uh, so pressing the ball when Villa are building up, if Villa can beat the trap and get yeah. players like Tielemans on the ball, if you've got Diaby, Watkins, maybe Philogene as well, if he's playing on the right, if he, you know, if he stays and things like that. That's that's some serious um, firepower, and those centre backs that are going to be playing for an opposition team, they're going to be uh, scared, very scared. <laughs> I was going to say something else about that pace, and then you'd expect them to drop back, which then affects their press. So mm. having pace in your team, especially in this um, in this day of day and age of football. It's um yeah I think that's a key reason why Emery wanted to add a play like Diaby and why obviously we're heavily interested in Brennan Johnson as well. It's not even it's not even just having pace and knowing that Diaby might get in at some point and if he does he'll score. Even just the threat of pace is enough to to exactly. put teams on the back foot that thinking I can't step up too far here or, or whatever it might be because if Douglas Louise yeah. does what he does and turns on a sixpence and puts it over the back of my head, yeah. Diaby can get to it. He might not necessarily will do, but he could get to it. And obviously, from what we've seen in his highlight reels and the 45 minutes against Fulham, is that if he does get behind, he has got the ability to finish as well. And that's a dangerous and lethal combination and a very exciting yes. one for, for supporters as well. I think I want to wrap up this one. Still loads of other talking points. Coutinho played his first minutes in pre-season. Buendia is looking very good still and playing in the position that Jacob Ramsey would be. So when Jacob Ramsey comes back, does he take Buendia's spot? 
somebody asked that on social media and my response would be that if Brendy plays the first three or four games of the season and scores three goals, for example, Jackie Ramsey doesn't deserve to just walk straight back into the team and that's what the conversation we've been having about squad depth. Philogene also playing well again for the second time, doing two different roles almost of being able to supply uh, firepower going forward, but also drop back and defend as well. Something that if it's a straight swap that Diaby is playing on the right-hand side for Philogene, he probably wouldn't be able to track back in the same way that he would. So that's a, a different asset for us to have as well if, obviously, like you say, Philogene sticks around. The last couple of points I want to end on very quickly is the lifestyle section of the podcast where I ask you, <laughs> what's been happening? Did you go on any rides at Orlando? What's the next kind of stages of the tour? We've had two questions asking about your food situation. Matt says, can you please tell John to eat something that isn't supermarket processed chicken because it's making me sad. And uh, AVFC Sarko said, is John happier with the food selection and the value now he's in Florida? Out in Orlando, there's a supermarket nearby that does, like, they have like a kitchen counter, so they do hot food, mm, right, which okay. is useful. So now we're talking. Exactly. Um, hot food, that's fantastic. I could go to a restaurant and eat there, but the point is I don't want to spend over limits. You know, like if you get stuff on expenses and whatever, I don't want to be cheeky with it and say, oh, here's... <laughs> here's this £100 it, steak I had. I just had to have yeah, it. Yeah, <laughs> here's the $40 I spent on two meals or it would probably be more than that, to be fair. So I'm trying to restrict myself, but it's very difficult. And I'm back in Washington in a few days, so I might have to stock up on <laughs> on things <laughs> out here. And then, you know, yeah, I don't know if that would get through customs. I don't know. I got stopped a few times um, in the pub with people asking about <laughs> the situation, which is good. A word on the sports, by the way, like it's insane. that You walk around Florida and people come up to you and say, that they're like the podcast and, and the work that we put in and stuff like that. Like, like it's a privilege for us to for us to do it. But if we're, I think we said it before, if we bring fans from out here closer to Villa, then that's our job done. And yeah, just a shout out to everyone who stopped me and spoke to me. Like, you know who you are. And it was really nice to meet you all. And hopefully in Maryland as well, we'll see some, see some more uh, fans of the podcast. But it's, yeah, it's really, uh, it's really touching to, have those conversations with fans who had either never seen Villa before, barely seen them at all. Yeah, and if we can bring them closer to Villa, then that's, uh, yeah, it's a privilege to do that. John, that'll do us for this show. Thank you for joining us as always. Um, you're off to back, you're back off to Washington after this um, for the final game of the Premier League Summer Series, which if Villa win and Chelsea don't, I think Villa can win this thing, which would be cool, I guess, or whatever. Uh, I don't yeah, know. I think Chelsea need to win and better our goal difference I believe oh better the result better our scoreline the upcoming mini schedule for the next few days for Claret and Blue is that Friday as we're recording this tomorrow uh, there will be an interview with somebody you'll have to tune in to find out that will be around midday Sunday we're going to be doing the post Brentford show so the same day of the game it kicks off as a 5pm kickoff in the UK so the podcast is probably going to be 9.30 10.30pm 10, and it'll be a quick 20 minute chat just to catch up on the, on the game because you're flying back to the UK via Paris Monday morning and then Tuesday will be something I'm not sure what yet it could be a Q&A or it could be a video that we've already filmed in the bag something else which I've not edited yet so the loose schedule is Friday Sunday Tuesday there'll be current blue content of some description um, so stick with us there was loads coming up and before you know it like we said and we said last week the Premier League season will be upon us and you'll be off to Premier League press conferences and we'll be doing the post-match show as always so uh, loads coming up stay subscribed to Clarton Blue like the video leave a comment down below as per usual John thanks for your time safe travels to Washington and we'll see you all again on Sunday slash Friday slash Tuesday join us whenever thank you for watching